welcome. You are listening to Grace Capital Church Podcast. Um, truth, kind of like when we make a New Year's resolution and don't keep it. Like uh, one of my New Year's resolutions was the day of New Year's, I'm going to, yeah, work out. No, I had saved that. I'm doing that tomorrow. But I remember saying, <laughs> New Year's resolution, I'm going to not eat any bad food. I mean, all natural like I used to. And that didn't work because like, it was like, I've, I've already broken that. So there's truth in that, that we have a hard time keeping our New Year's resolutions, right? So let me just jump right into the message. Um, I want to start off with <clears throat> just some facts that, uh, that you can find from different physicists and different scientists and things like that. I want to share some of these uh, data points with you to get us into the body and the context of the message today. Um, how are you all doing today, by the way? Is everyone doing well? Did you have a good Christmas? You had a good Christmas and a good, good New Year's? You feeling good? You're ready to take on 2015? You ready to take on 2015? They're like, yeah, I guess, another year. I saw someone with a funny meme, and it was like a picture of one of those angry cats, and it was just like, 2015 already stinks. You know, it was like two days into it or something like that. Uh, well, I hope that you have a better positive attitude uh, because we're going to learn about the truth over the next six to eight weeks. Amen? We're going to learn about who Jesus is, what he's all about, who God is, what he's all about, and concepts in the word. I'm really excited. So anyway, I want to start off with some facts today. So um, these are all uh, data points and truths about what it means to keep life on a planet. Um, so I want to share some of those with you. Uh, starting, starting off with this one, number of stars in the planetary system. So if more than one, so if more than one star in our galaxy, tidal interactions would disrupt planetary orbit of life. If less than one, the heat produced would be insufficient for life on this planet, which is, this is the only planet that we know of life out of all the one octillion, which is 24 zeros of planets so far. We have yet to find life. Surface gravity, if stronger, the planet's atmosphere would retain too much ammonia and methane, which would make it inhabitable. If weaker, the planet's atmosphere would lose too much water, oxygen quantity in atmosphere. If greater, plants and hydrocarbons would burn up too easily. If less, advanced animals would have too little to breathe. Global distribution of continents, so the way our continents are set up on the planet. If too much in the southern hemisphere, seasonal difference would be too severe for advanced life. And lastly, the Jupiter's distance from Earth. I don't know if you've ever heard this, but Jupiter's distance is very intentional of God placing Jupiter where it is because if it was any different or if it was any part uh, a different way moved or different size, too many asteroids and comet collisions would occur on Earth. And if less the distance, and we're talking about fractions here, fractions of a .0001 type of number, Earth's orbit, if less, Earth's orbit would become unstable. I was reading a, a, a Wall Street Journal article by um, Eric Metaxas, and he was beginning to build this case for, you know, uh, he was, the whole article was about how in the 60s we wanted to go find life on other planets, and there was 
there was those who are astronomers and, and whatnot that said, hey, we are going to find life on another planet. So as time has gone on, as we've realized what it really takes to keep life on a planet, there's over 200 different variables that are ex- exactly precise in number and in, in their data. And if off by a little bit, life cannot happen. So as we've been journeying closer and as, we, as we've been journeying with science, we've realized it's almost impossible to have life. As a matter of fact, life on this planet, and this, this author of this article said, that's still sort of a, a phenomenon, that we even have life on this planet. And wh- what he says that really was compelling for me in the article was, not only do we have life on this planet, not only do we have life on this planet, not just algae and not just plants, but we have water and we have human beings, we have interactions and we have emotions. Not only do we have that type of life, but we as life on the planet are asking, is there life on another planet? That's just remarkable. And he said, I just can't wrap my brain around this. It's just unbelievable that we have this type of life. And so I will say this, it leads to the question, did God create it? And then the debate rages on. Because everything I just said, you can go into credible sources and they will refute, dispute, and speak to what I'm saying that that's just, you don't know what you're talking about. And those data points don't matter. There's always a counter argument to the conversation. It's not like what I'm saying, you know, in one moment your mind can be blown and then another moment you can say, oh, well, that really doesn't matter to me anymore. But if we want to discover and realize, is there a God, which most of you in here would acknowledge that, but I think that there's more of an acknowledgement that we need to take, and as we journey through this message, we'll start, I believe that it's going to be challenging for us all. But as we acknowledge God, that, then there's implications to that, which is, what does that mean for me? What does that mean for my life? And how does that interfere with my day-to-day activity because if there's a God and he created and I'm part of that where is this relationship how does that happen what does that mean and before we can begin to understand that concept we have to first find out where we understand about this God the one who is Lord of Lords King of Kings the God over gods one who commands us in the word that says you shall not worship any other God but me this God who we say is a creator of the universe is found in this book if, for those of you who don't know, this is a Bible. Most of you know that. I'm having a hard time. My jokes, I'm starting off the year not good with jokes. There we go. I got you to laugh. It's the Bible. And this right here is, is, the, is the absolute truth. And, and, for, and for people, it's hard for people to really receive this Uh, Because we like thinking that there's a God, but the God that wants to lord over us, well, that's a different story because no one's going to tell me what to do and how to live. But, you know, most of America, I think it's like 80% or something like that, would acknowledge there is a God. Now, when it comes to my day-to-day interactions, no. In this book, no. And this is a statement that sort of I wrote that I would rather read than say because it just sounds better when I read it. So I wrote that to discredit the Bible from the conversation or to remove the Bible is to remove facts and truth of God and replace with our mythology, this is what Rick talked about a little bit, is to replace with our mythology, ideology, or methodology of living and reducing him, which would be God, to a God who meets my needs instead of allowing him to lord over me through the book. That he's just a God that makes sense when I need him. 
You get in a bad car accident, God, please don't, don't have the bad thing happen. And we always are crying out to God for things. Well, when it has to do with daily submitting and surrendering, that's where people have a problem. We cringe at that. And this is something that in this book was already talked about. If you turn with me to Isaiah 8.14, we'll understand even before in the beginnings of this book and even the beginnings of mankind, we find the scripture in, I, in Isaiah speaking about the foretelling of what this is going to be. Isaiah 8.14 says, And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So he, meaning Jesus, and this Bible is all about Jesus. It says in John that the word was God, the word was with God. This is the word, this is Jesus. This whole book points to Jesus from beginning to end. It's the love story that God has with humanity, which he created. And he does that through the incarnate God, who is Jesus Christ, who came and dwelled on this earth. And this whole book points to this. It points to how sinful we are and how much of a savior we need. And that's where we read about Jesus. The whole Old Testament is the foretelling. And the New Testament is life beyond and watching Jesus dwell among his people and the Holy Spirit. And that's the essence of what we're going to cover in this, in this series. But you can see already it was already a stumbling block. It was foretold he was going to be a stumbling block. And then I love this scripture in 1 Corinthians 1.23. It says, but we preach Christ crucified... And this is what Paul goes on to say about that. A stumbling block to Jews. So for those of you who don't know, Jesus was really persecuted by his own people, by his own kind. And so that's what he's talking about. And then really, I think this speaks to all of us contextually. Paul says, uh, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block for the Jews, and folly, in other words, foolishness to Gentiles. Isn't that what people believe today? If I go into a place and I say, hey, I'm a Christian, I'm a, I, I'm a follower of Jesus, I love Jesus, and in this conversation, whatever it may be, I'm going to let you know that that's my foundation in which I have the conversation of whatever that may be. People would say, they would already discount me. That Jesus, we don't want to hear from you. We don't want to hear about Jesus. It's amazing if I said, hey, listen, I serve Allah, and I mean, there's a, there's a, there's an, a school, the school here is having someone come in to talk about Islam. And that's just acceptable. If I want to come in and talk about my faith and talk about Christianity, talk about Jesus, well, we can't allow that. It's foolishness. It's bigotry. That's what our Christian faith, that's what it's been reduced to because of a few bad eggs. Haven't you know, don't you know that there's been a few bad eggs? So ultimately, the book, it ultimately has to do with us not wanting to be lorded over and to be what it calls us to be in the book. That's why we don't want to follow it. And it's masked with this. It's masked with, this is not a credible book. It's too old. It's ancient. Well, it's funny you'd say that because I'm going to talk about that today on other ancient documents that we would consider not a problem to learn about. So how we understand that this book is real and it's relevant and it's truth, you have to look at manuscripts. We're going to go in our college days. Anyone ever have literature in college thinking about manuscripts and talking about that? Anyone know what a manuscript is? No hands raised, so I'll educate you. So this is a, uh, manuscripts are how we cr make cr a document credible that's ancient. So what would happen is they didn't have any uh, uh, electronic devices, you know, iPhones, iPads, MacBooks, anything of that nature. Anything, I don't know what, if there's any other electronic devices outside of the Apple family, um, but... Uh, 
But they didn't have anything like that, so they had to, they would write on these pages that they would, cor- they would corrode and they, they didn't have the, the, lo- the length, so what they would have to do, uh, the lifespan in the, doc- in the paper, so to have to continue to rewrite the document that would keep and preserve it over time. And so the, the, the science and, and the, uh, the, the idea behind manuscripts and the, uh, the ways that, that uh, historians would look at manuscripts is there's fundamental principles. The more the manuscripts... The, the higher likely the, that it's credible of whatever you're reading. So the more manuscripts, it's, it's actually a more credible document that you're, that, you're, that you're reading. And also the other fact is the, the, the length in which a manuscript was first generated, so you have original copy, and then you have however many years later the first manuscript, the shorter that time, the more credible that document is. So we have length of time, and then we have the quantity of manuscripts, how many times it was written over. So uh, we know of Homer. Anyone study Homer in, in college and literature? So we have Homer. There's, we don't know the earliest copy from writing originally to the first copy. There's no the earliest copy. We don't know that historically, but the number of copies of Homer's of sorry, manuscripts, 643. 643 copies. For Plato, anyone know who Plato is? Philosophy, about 1,300 years removed from the original. So Plato's original writings, 1,300 years. That's where we have our first writings. How many copies? Seven copies. Aristotle, about 1,400 years removed from the original, five copies. Caesar, Caesar wrote documents, 950 years removed from the original. It's a big span. Ten copies. The New Testament. New Testament from the original text written a hundred years removed from the original. How many manuscripts that we know of? 14,000 manuscripts. 14,000 manuscripts. No one's going to sit here and tell me that the stuff that happened in the New Testament didn't happen. Because if it didn't happen, then don't believe anything else you read and don't believe everything you read when you go to college. Because those, the way that we judge those documents are a false, they're a falsehood if we say that this is not the true word of God. If I had a religion, my religion would be sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Why in the world would anyone, would anyone create a religion that causes us to die to ourselves and live for a God that we don't even see? What human would create such a thing? Do you think we do this for fun? We believe that there is a God who created, who loves his people, that wants to tell the story through this book. And who wants to attack this? It's the enemy who it does exist and it really exists and to ensure that we don't have relationship. But I can tell you, when you look practically, what person would ever want to, would ever want to create this? What, what pagan person would say, I have a really good idea. I'm going to create a religion that's going to make me deny myself in every way. All the lustful pleasures that I have, I'm going to make it a non-incentive to do those things. Yeah, that makes sense. That's what I'm going to do. It's craziness. But that's my philosophy. I'm just, that's just an idea that I have. But when I look at the facts of manuscripts, there's no telling me that this book is not a credible book and not a credible source for what happened in a historical way. What, what, what happened in a historical way? Jesus lived, he died, and he was resurrected. There was actual accounts. People were, people were interviewed by Luke, by all the, the, the writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 
those people were, were interviewing those. That's how we get those books. And that's how we know about these stories. They were from real people, credible manuscripts all over the place. It's not like it's one place. And then the other thing you're probably saying is, oh, well, it was written over and over and over and over again. So there was uh, errors written in the page. <clears throat> not going to happen. I'll poke holes in that all day. There are errors in the text but the errors are grammatical, little errors. There's no proof whatsoever of any document having a, a conflict with itself. It may appear as though there's a conflict, but once you do your homework and digging, there is no conflict. But people want you to believe that the New Testament writings are of, of, no, of no credibility because there's conflicts. No, there's not. And if there is, then you can tell me where you found that, and we'll talk about it. But the, to our knowledge... The reality, the truth, the veritas truth is there is none. It's simple, small, grammatical errors. So like I said, the real truth of why we don't want to follow the book is because what the book, how it causes us to live and what it asks of us and how it lords over us and we mask it with it's not a credible book because if we find that it is credible and we accept that the book is the real book and the true word of God, Ooh, the implications of that. That means that your government doesn't matter. That means that world power struggles don't matter. That means that the way you, you choose to live your life doesn't matter. It's only what God says because he's sovereign over all things. That's what the book says. So we have to make sure that we discredit the book. Therefore, those things don't apply. And Jesus is reduced to some guy who petted lambs, and we put him up on stack rank with Mother Teresa and other great people. No other great person claimed to be God. Anybody that you know that's a great person say, hey, I'm a great person, I do good things, I'm a philanthropist, and I'm God. We would say, you are a lunatic and you're a sociopath and you need to be put in the, in the place down the way it's called the mental hospital. Don't look at Jesus as some guy who was an individual who did good things. The man claimed to be God, sent by God. You can't just take that out of the picture. That's what we want to take out of the picture, but that's who he is. He was killed for it. His punishment was blasphemy. That's why he died. That is a historical fact. It's written by a Roman historian who's not even a Christian. It's what the book asks us to live and how it asks us to be. That is the main problem. It's our flesh that can't deal with that. Because we live in a world and we're people that we want to live our own way, we want to live our own life, and no one's going to interfere with that. And so that's not my philosophy, that's the word. So let's turn to Romans 8, 5, 8, 5 through 8. Romans 8, 5 through 8. I hope some of you are getting a, a little bit of a, of, of a good perspective on what you believe and why. I hope this energizes your faith so you can live and be who God's called you to be. So when the next person comes to you and say, I don't believe that, you can say, oh, really? Well, do you, do you believe Plato? Now you've got a little one that you can show them and have a conversation in a loving way. But don't let people run over you and say, you don't know what you're talking about because you're an idiot Christian. Well, no, you're educated. Don't ever walk away from science. Receive it. One of the best practical things I can tell you is don't be a teller, be a listener and a learner. My uh, this family that I have that are straight atheists, they are straight, they do not believe anything whatsoever about God, they don't believe anything's true, nothing. I've learned more of an argument from an atheist point of view and more about how an atheist thinks because I've been a learner of what they think. You've got to stand firm in the truth. 
But don't try to convince anybody of anything. That's not your job. That's the Holy Spirit's job to do. You, what you need to do is you need to be a learner. And in those conversations, there's one individual who is a professed atheist, now no longer is a professed atheist, because he believes that he, everything he believed was false. And he said, he told me a large part of it had to do with because we were having interactions and I wasn't, he didn't have to defend any, anything with me. I just was wanting to know, hey, tell me about this. Tell me what you think about this. And we'd have conversations and then he'd, his heart would begin to soften. And the Holy Spirit would begin to work. But a lot of times, we come at, the, we come at it as an argument instead of a conversation. You don't, need to, you don't need to be judge, jury for God. He's sovereign over all things. He doesn't need your help to do that. All you need to do is be obedient to it. Amen? Romans 8, 5 through 8. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds according to uh, set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is what? Hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Don't be surprised when people around you don't want to consider what you have to say. They're people of the flesh, and the only thing that can change that is the Holy Spirit, not you. You, you can't change someone's perspective, but it's clear as day, the scriptures, this is what Paul's saying thousands of years ago, those who have set their mind on the flesh are hostile to God. They're hostile. That's what that means. It's really simple. Hostile. So we're not required to change them. What we're required to do is what the scriptures say, because the Lord's over us too as believers, we're required to love. We're required to be neighbors and friendly. And in that love, in the ways that are opposite of the world, that it's through that love that Christ will have uh, room to move. Um, I'm gonna speak to sort of believers as a whole, but this is one thing that the Lord sort of showed me, I believe, um, and I want to share it with you. And this is, again, another nugget for you to take to really believe and confirm that in your heart what you believe is true. Because I know there's some of you in here that have had doubts of what you've read because it's an ancient book. And you've read it and you've said, I've, it's sort of like the words are becoming too familiar to you. They're, it's not real. It's not tangible. It's, it's just something that you've done your whole life. And you've been questioning because what you've, what's happened with you is you have allowed the lies of the world... The lie, as Paul calls it in Romans 1, you've exchanged the truth for a lie. And we're going to talk about the enemy, and we're going to talk about sin and how the enemy works, and look at a case study that happened in Genesis 3 about exactly how the enemy and the devil specifically wants to twist your thinking around. Again, I'm not trying to brainwash you, I'm just telling you what the scriptures say. And it's pretty remarkable when we're, when we're going to tackle this, uh, these sort of topics, um, so I won't spoil that then, but I know that there's some of you who have you've been doubting what you've said, uh, what's been said through scripture, and your first reaction isn't to go pray and seek the Lord and say, Lord, r resolve this in me. Your first reaction is to go see a YouTube video or a Wikipedia thing and say, ah, I knew that there was a problem with that. So there's been doubts, but this is what I want to, this is what I want to share with you, each one of you in here. If you acknowledge that God is Lord over all things, if that's truly what you acknowledge, that he created, you believe in some being, 
And it's hard not to believe. I mean, most under the, I mean, I've heard a lot of physicists in closed door conversations ask their other friend physicists saying, do you, how do you even explain evolution? That's where their heads are at. It's like, I, but it's not acceptable in science. So you got to put on the front of evolution, even though it doesn't really make a lot of sense. Darwin's book, the, the, the book that, that he wrote, what's the book that he wrote? Origin of the Species is actually Origin of the Species. If you read the full title, I'm not even going to tell you what it is. I want you to go do your homework. You go do your homework on what Darwin's book, Origin of the Species, what the actual full name of that book is. You'll have to do some digging, but think about and, and research what the full name is. It's been reduced to Origin of the Species, but there is other tones in there speaking of race and speaking of... Uh, the highest race and sort of this, uh, what's his main concept that he uses in, in the origin of the species? Survival of the fittest. So there's also context in there, not just survival of species, but survival of race. So there was other tones in his book that weren't just science, but it was part of his own ideology and what he believed in his own thinking. So I want you to go do your homework and research that. It's pretty remarkable what you'll find when you read the whole title and really get your head wrapped around what that book's about. But that, I'll leave that one to you. But here's what I'd like to say to you. For those of you, you, you say that there's a God somehow in his infinite, unbelievable power created a world where you're asking the questions, does a, a world... Uh, do people exist or does, is there life on another planet? You're not just algae. You have feelings and emotion. This is the God that you're saying is, is you're acknowledging. This is, my, this is my statement or a question for you. How could the God who is controller of all things, who he decided to breathe life into the world, it was on his account that he wanted to make people, wanted to be in a relationship with people. How could it be that he has no power over the very book that he wrote? And we know that he wrote it because in the book it says that it's the inspired word of God. That it, David talks about this in Psalms where he is doing the writing but the Holy Spirit is the author doing, doing the inspiration. So how could it be that there could be this crazy creator and he would screw up his own plan by making the book that we learn about him screwed up? If that's the case, then he, he, royally, he royally failed in his plans. Because now the very book that we discover him in is actually false and there's problems with it. And because of human error, we now have an error book. So, so why would he do that? What would be the purpose? So you can't have a God and a creator who can create things and create you and create your genetic being, but yet not have control over the very book that describes who he is, that has you learn about him. Think about that for a minute. It all, it all, all, all goes back to what the Bible, the implications of what it means for your life and how to live and what it calls you to. That's the biggest problem. If the Bible said, go live and be who you want, go chase your dreams, go do whatever you want to do, it's all about you, it's all about what you want, it's all about your desires, do you think anyone would have a problem with this book? Not one person would have a problem with this book. If anything, it would be a bestseller. Oh, wait, it already is. which that should tell you something. The book causes you to not live for yourself. It's the number one best-selling book in the most languages translated ever. It's crazy. So, so here's what I'm challenging you with. This whole series, the next six to eight weeks, we are going to be tackling heavy topics in the scriptures that we've, I don't think we've ever really talked about them in this way before. I've been a part of this church for over 10 years, and I haven't, I've yet to, 
the things that, I, that we're going to be talking about the next couple weeks are incredible. You're really not going to want to miss it. Um, it is bringing up truths that we know in a very unique way, in a challenging way. But before we can even go there, this is the headline for the message. This is really the starter, is if you have doubts about this, then you're not going to be able to receive. There's always going to be that question. You cannot have doubts about this. You, you have to start here. Where we're going and where we're discovering who God is and what he's all about is found in the very book that we understand him in. And if you have a problem with the book, then you're going to have a problem with every message that we'll ever preach, but really primarily with the concepts we're going with. If this is an issue for you, then we have to work that out. And you have to have some time with the Lord and have him reveal it to you. It's not, I can't do that. It's not me who does the convincing. The Holy Spirit does the work in there, but you have to submit yourself to him if you so choose. It's amazing that we even have the choice anyway in this life. Choice to believe, that is. So in Revelations 3.16, it says this. I don't know if we have a, uh, yeah. Revelations 3.16, it says, So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. We've all heard this before. Anyone who's my age, we heard a lot at youth group. Living lukewarm lives. Because we've got to be self-righteous and we've got to throw away our secular CDs. I can't tell you how many times I've gone to a Christian youth group. And literally every year, I remember one year I got the Dr. Dre, the Chronic album. It was like one of my favorite albums. And I literally threw it away. And I wanted it back like a week later. It's like all this self-righteous living when it's so much deeper than that. It's so much deeper than what you do or how you act. It's a life chasing after Jesus and letting him do the work in your heart. I can't tell you how, how much money in CDs I got rid of when I ended up buying them. I, instead of paying $20 for a CD, I played 50 because I had to buy it like two and a half times. But really what the scripture is, is anyone who's lukewarm, it's because you believe half a truth. And you can put up this slide. We live half a life when we believe half the truth. We don't do it in a very open way. We do it in a way of, well, I have to have questions about what it's all about, and I don't really know this is for me. I'm just, you know, I've been in the faith for a long time, and I don't know. I just don't see God, and I think we've all been there. The question is, are you going to continue to seek him, or are you going to give up because he didn't show himself, and Something bad happened to you, and therefore God doesn't exist. That's one of the best, this is actually a saying, it's one of the best tricks that Satan ever pulled was convincing the world he doesn't exist. Anything bad that happens to us, we always blame it on God. And anything good that happens to us, we take credit for it. No, it's just good luck. I just did well on that thing. I just, I don't know. Folks, it's so plain to see. This is a real thing. It's a real book. Can't you tell? Why is it that Christianity is the only thing where I'm considered a bigot, but yet any other religion is perfectly fine? Yet I can't be, I can't be who God's calling to be, which is primarily when you really get to the root of what a real believer is, it's one who loves his neighbor as himself and serves. Jesus came to do two things, to love and to serve and give, give life to the fullest. That's what we should be embodying to other people. Why would the world have such a problem with that? So I believe that there's a lukewarm nature in us, not because we're not doing the self-righteous things like throwing away secular CDs, but it's 
more because we don't really believe everything it says. Therefore, there's some parts we like, there's some parts we don't like. It reminds me of Thomas Jefferson not liking particular parts of the Bible so he would tear out the things he didn't like. How many times do we do that? We tear out the things that we don't like in the Bible and then it's just, uh, it's God's best attempt at telling us who he is. So, uh, it's a deal, uh, it's whatever. So, I'll conclude with this and worship team, you can feel free to come up now, John. Uh, Genesis 1-1, everybody. Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And that's where you need to end and the scriptures need to begin in your life. In this, new, in this new year, this is where you need to end. Your flesh ends. And the Lord begins in your life, starting with Genesis 1-1. And it's funny. Right out of the gate, we already have controversy. Was the world created in seven days? Right out of the gate. Genesis 1, we're already in a conflict. I wonder if God does these things purposely to say, will you really believe? Will you really believe who I am and what I say and what I came to do? Who wants to journey with me? And I I would say this, don't even answer that question now. Don't, Don't even answer... Are you a real believer today? Take this, this next two months and really deter, determine and discover if you are really a believer. Take this time to, to, to prioritize, because I'll tell you right now, this is the only thing that matters. It's called eternity. This world, we want to live for it, yet it's a, it's a drop in the bucket. Eternity is where we're going to be forever with either God or Satan. Choose your pick. But eternity is the only thing that matters. And people are going to hell. And God wants to partner with us to help people to not get there. He wants to use you to do that. It's eternity that matters, not short-term things. And so in order to get, in order to partner with God on his eternal mission, you have, to, you have to be a believer. And I don't want anyone answering that question today because I, I think that our hearts need to go through this process of discovering what a believer is and taking every word for what it is, even if we don't like it, even if we don't have a resolution. In this country, we have this problem where we need to have a resolve in anything. You know, the rabbis of old would ask open-ended questions and they'd be okay with not having an answer. They would ask open-ended questions because where's the point where we let God be God and we say we don't have the answer? It's like if we don't have the answer, it's like we want the answers, well, what's the point of faith then? What's the point of faith? If you already have all the answers, what the heck's the point? Maybe God wants you to stretch a little bit and believe what you're maybe not inclined to believe because he said it. It says in Isaiah, his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. When does that point start where his ways are not our ways? And we all need to get to the point where we become a believer when we believe that we don't have all the answers and that he is Lord over all things. So what I'd like to do is um, we're going to just watch a video from our lead pastor. Uh, we're a, a church with multiple locations, and we have a lead apostolic leader that is over all three church locations. And he uh, is going to summarize sort of our series for us, uh, and then we'll sing, we'll, we'll sing a song and wrap up. Veritas, meaning truth. It's interesting that the world we live in today is actually 
it's kind of strange because people have been trying to find truth. They've been trying to find the solution to this inner thing that they have felt that they can't explain. Something's drawing them to find truth, but as they look for truth in the wrong places, I don't know, whether they're looking for truth in nature, looking for truth in their relationships, in, you know, all these different things that people are trying to pursue, finding satisfaction, and which really is they're trying to find the meaning of life. Problem is, is they're looking in the wrong places. In our world today that we have so many places to look, we have so many things to preoccupy us, but is there one truth, is there one absolute truth that we should be looking at? And I think the answer is yes. The problem is we've looked to too many places. So we've really got to come back to this place of going back to, if truth is absolute, where do we find it? And we find it in God's word, which we know, and hopefully you'll discover. But we've got to go through the story of God to understand where this truth is found. We've got to start at the beginning. We've got to go to the end. We've got to understand that God created us to be in a relationship with him. Then we go into this fallen world and who's Satan and this old covenant shedding of blood. It's kind of a gory scene. But what I have come to realize is there is truth to be found. And we need to come to that place of, of receiving that truth. And we can't just stop in the beginning or the Old Testament. Then we got to journey to Jesus. And then we got to understand what he's done for us and how he went to the cross, what all that means. But then we can't stop there either. Then all of a sudden Jesus leaves this world and he gives us the Holy Spirit. And, and then we find ourselves in a place and time. And where is our place in this story? And I think that's the question all of us need to have is if there's absolute truth and we have a place in the story of God and where do we fit in to this journey that God has been placing us on? Again, we can't just stop with the Holy Spirit. We've got to then also go to the end, the very end of the book, which is talking about Jesus' return in a new kingdom, in a new world, this new Jerusalem. Many times we preach through the Bible on just little segments of it, but this journey that we're going to take you on, on this series called Veritas, Truth, we're going to look at the theme of God. We're going to say from the beginning to the end and everywhere in between, what is God doing and how has human beings fit in the middle of it? And we're going to explore truth together. I'm asking one thing from us, to be faithful week after week to be a part of this series. You do not want to miss even one Sunday because we're going to dive into subjects we've never gone to before and we're going to discover something together that's going to be magnificent. What we're going to discover is we're going to discover truth. We're going to discover Veritas. Join us for this amazing journey going through the series of understanding God's story, His truth, the absolute truth as found in the Word of God. So this is going to be the, this, this time frame is going to be where God really uh, wants us to determine where we stand and, and what this is for us. And is, is, is this something I choose to walk? Is this a path I choose to walk for the rest of my days or not? And I believe that this is going to be a season of calibration for us all to determine what is God saying for my life and do I believe it or not? So I'm really excited and, and I, I, I want to 
open up the dialogue and the conversation that if, if there are questions, uh, if there are things that you just are having a hard time with, track me down, track leaders down. We have life group leaders that we just acknowledged in the beginning of the service. We get plugged into a small group, ask questions there. We, and if no one has a question that they, can answer, that they can't answer it, we'll, we'll get the answer for you. Um, but I think it's time now for us to really ask the hard questions that we've always wondered that we never felt comfortable to ask because it was kind of like, it's just what we've always done. We, we got to get serious with our faith in a good way. And once we get to that point, then you're going to live such more of a free life. Living, living a half, half of uh, the truth is so, it's such a, a bondage because you're subjected to what you think are rules when it really doesn't mean anything to you. But imagine having truth and confidence fully, understanding what God is saying for your life and living in that and, and having relationship and not doing things in a rules base. That doesn't apply. We are saved just by grace alone. But imagine having a true love relationship with the Lord where you're compelled, like in a marriage, you have boundaries in your marriage. You don't do certain things and boundaries in friendships. You don't walk up to one another and slap each other in the face unless you're a bunch of you know, guys that are 20, 21 and think it's funny. But overall, we have boundaries in our relationships. So it's the same way because why? Because we love one another. And it's the same way with us and God. We have relationship with him. And in that relationship, we want to have those boundaries. We want to be in that, in that place with him. So I'm going to pray. And will you stand with me? And we'll dismiss today. Before I pray, would we... Could we have our, our, our life group leaders and leaders in the church just come forward? I want to open up this time for anybody who has any specific prayer requests or prayer needs. We, we want to open up the, the, the floor to that after we're done and after we're, you know, we're dismissing. Feel free to come and talk to any one of us. We'd love to engage with you and, and talk with you about some of these things. These are very heavy, potentially life-changing things for, for, for us. Um, it's really where it becomes where rubber meets the road on our beliefs. So, Lord, I, I pray that you would begin to cultivate a work in our heart. It's not this sort of get-rich-quick thing or this experiential moment, God, but it's a heart change. And I pray for your spirit to do a heart change in us, Lord God, where we would begin to tackle the things that we've always struggled with, Lord God, that we would tackle it um, and that in the end we would rely on you and we would expect and have faith in you that you will answer and hear our cry, Lord God. And then from that, Lord Jesus, we will have a life to the fullest, life that Jesus came to give through his life, death, burial, and resurrection. That you gave, you came to give life, Lord Jesus. That's what it says in, in the scripture, the truth. Lord, as we continue throughout the weeks and months ahead, Lord God, just be with us, be alongside us as we're living our life. We're living in a fallen world. We want you to be, be a part of it, Lord God. And I pray that we would have a spirit of effort to want to put into building our relationship with you. Because many of us, I know that we've started our New Year's resolutions. I'm sure on somebody's list out there, it's going to be, I'm going to journal and be with God every day. Well, make it a life change, not a New Year's resolution. Do it because he's the creator of the universe, not because you need to earn something. God, do this work in our heart. Help us, Lord Jesus. Become more like you and renew our mind on a daily basis. We thank you for all these things. Amen. If you would like to know more about Grace Capital Church or how to get a copy of this broadcast, please visit us online at gccnh.com.